During the winter's coming, uh, thank you. There you go, Doug. I like to hear myself. No, we. Uh, this is Gerilyn. Everybody say, hey, Gerilyn. Yeah, so most of you know that Gerilyn leads our children's ministry, Vintage Village, and so I invited her to come today. Today is a Connection Sunday in the village, and so I basically talked about it, said, hey, we could watch a video, or we could, um, or we could, like, I could talk for you, or whatever, and we decided, man, I'd much rather you hear from Gerilyn uh, what's going on and ways to connect with Vintage and anybody else, because there's something that she carries in the context of our children, of loving them well of being their advocate that I think that you need to see. But it's one of those deals I, I recognize a lot of time in the village that for some of us, I'm sure it's not most of us, but for some of us, we, we send our kids back there because we want our space in here, and we really don't think much about what's going on back there. And I want to say to you, God's doing amazing things. And so I've invited her to come and share some of those things. So why don't you first to share with us, Geraldine, and welcome that you were here. And I will say there'll be some uh, pictures that'll be feeding going on behind us. These are our actual kids in our village, so don't worry about it. not just random kids. Just kind of some pictures of some of the things, that, yes, some of the things that God is doing. And um, so I want you to just take a moment to just kind of share this kind of what's the primary win right now that you think is going on that will be exciting for us to hear this morning with the village. It's always neat because we always have the opportunity to share just um, what the Lord is doing and through his word. We actually take them through a scope and sequence, but it's really neat to see that although we're very intentional in that and trying to make sure that they do receive biblical instruction, it's so cool that the Holy Spirit also guides and leads us in such an amazing way that he'll take and use that in ways so that the child can apply that to their everyday life. And they're really getting the message that God's word is his instruction manual for them. It's not to control them, but it's to release them so that they can experience the very best life possible here, but then also life forever and ever with him. And so it's exciting to see them grab a hold of that for their very own. And, and we've had um, numerous children, especially over the last several weeks, who have said, you know, I love Jesus. I'm a disciple of his. I've given him my whole life. And now it's time for me to take my personal stand for Jesus. And in just two weeks at Easter, we're actually going to see children taking their personal stand, that they have made Jesus not only their Savior, but their Lord. And so that's super exciting. And just to see kids get it, to see the light bulb go off when you're talking to them about what Jesus not only did, but what he is doing and the lives of believers and people then and people now. It's just really exciting. It's good. And so in that, talk about, it's one of those things a lot of times when we think about our lives and our children, like that there's a real vision and some dreams that are really leading some of the stuff that you're taking. So why don't you take a moment kind of and share some of the dreams and visions that God has placed in you and in your team uh, for the village. It's really important that um, as parents, y'all realize that we want to partner with you um, primarily you guys are responsible, not primarily, you are responsible for the spiritual um, nurturing and instruction of your children. We want to come alongside you. We want to help support you in that. And so that really is something that is always in our hearts and in our minds. We want to help and assist with biblical instruction and help support what you're doing at home. So one of the things is we really want parental involvement. Not so much that we need you to come in and teach, but we just want you to, number one, know what's going on, and then to help assist in those ways that we can come alongside you, that they hear the same things, 
um, with us, that they hear at home, and that they can really grow up loving Jesus. It's the most natural thing in the world for kids to be able to look at their parents and go, wow, they have a special relationship with Jesus, and I want that too. And so that's, that's kind of a, that's a dream and a passion of ours. And one of the ways that we do that is we feel strongly that every child needs to have a personal touch from a loving adult every time that they come into the village. We love large groups. We love large numbers of children. Um, we have a couple of those gatherings right now going on where they do worship and they do receive instruction. But it's very important to us that we have enough loving adults that can go, that can sit with them, that can talk with them, that can make eye contact, that can touch them, so that they really understand that there are people that are for them and people that can be good examples to them. And so that's that's something that's a little different here. It's not all about the group, big the big group and large group teaching, although that is important. It's all about that one-on-one connection and sharing Christ's love in a personal way. That's right. So one of the things we really believe in here at Vintage is we love having that one person who's leading in the room because they every week have that familiar face rather than some someone new coming in every other week. And so it's been exciting to have people who are back there every week. But it's also exciting to have people who can come in and partner with our leads, who can partner uh, and love on our children. I, I, I'll be honest, I went back there to serve for a month and, and had a blast. Right, I got to step back there. Honestly, they lead and I get to play. It's fantastic. It's like a match made in heaven. And so that's what we're asking you to consider doing and asking you partners. You would come in and say, hey, listen, we would, we would love to come love on the children here at Vintage. We'd love to come and partner with these leads to really free them up to do the things they love to do and to lead well. Uh, and this to empower you say, hey, would you come and would you serve alongside of our children? So talk about specific ways today that they can connect with, with the village. It's really, really super easy. Um, some people are like, I, we love month-long commitments. That's great because then you get to connect really with the lead that you're in there with. And you do become very familiar with the children and develop those relationships. So that's awesome. But some people come to me and they're like, you know, I work every other Sunday or I never know when I'm going to be in town. We also need people that will just say, Put me on a list, and when that lead needs an extra set of hands, call me and I'll be willing to step in. Then all really that's necessary for you to do is to love children well, to laugh with them, to talk with them, to participate with them in worship, to participate with them as they do their activities. Um, even with our little babies and our toddlers, you don't have to do any of the yucky stuff. You don't have to change diapers. All you have to do is be willing to spend time and share Jesus' love with kids, and it's as simple as that. We will have a sign-up table right outside here um, where you can sign up and just say, I'm willing. Um, I will give you a call, and we'll talk about what that looks like for you, if it is just, if it's one month or if it's just now and again. Now, if you do serve four weeks, either in a row or four weeks, on your fourth week, you'll get a handy-dandy village T-shirt. Don't you like them? Okay. So uh, feel free, um, feel free to do that, guys. It's just a way for us to show the investment of love that we have. Not only we know that Christ calls us to serve, and especially to serve the least of these. And as as we look at our church family, we have a large number of kids. They want to get to know you. When you talk to them, they feel like a rock star. They really do. So consider, just perfectly consider just spending a little bit of time to hang out with some kids after you have your time of worship or before and come join us in the village. Awesome. All right. 
If you would, gather with me. I say gather with me. Just join with me. I'm going to pray for Gerald and pray for, our, pray for the village. And that God will continue to pour his blessing upon them. So, Father, I thank you for Gerald and Rick and their kids. And they're serving faithfully. Uh, thank you for our leaders in the village. And I pray first for, for them and our leaders that you would bless them. That you would encourage them. You would speak life into them. That you would continue to speak dreams and visions into their lives. I pray, Father God, that you would then continue to move in, our, in the village. God, I recognize that Scripture is very clear that in, in, in Jewish times, children were seen as kind of second-class second citizens. And Jesus did away with that thinking and said, don't forbid them coming to me, basically saying that they are a priority to me. They need to be a priority to us. And, Father, we ask forgiveness in any way that we've made children second-class citizens here. We say, God, we want them to become what they are to you priority in God and, and to be preeminent in all that we're doing. So I pray God, that you would overwhelm them with vision, give them direction. I pray that you'd bless our children and empower them in powerful ways, Jesus. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you. So um, let's dive in this morning. And I want to dive in uh, first by stating where we have been at Vintage. And we kind of did just one week. We basically came a couple weeks ago and said, all right, everybody ready? You ready to dive in? Okay, y'all excited to be here this morning? James, you excited? Okay, Palmer's, uh, Palmer, you excited, bro? I'm excited. All right, man, that's my, that's, that's my boys right there. All right. Now, <clears throat> Easter is a couple of weeks away. And we said that primarily people, when they look at Easter, they have a couple different views. In, in the world, it's baskets, bunnies, and Easter eggs, right? And, and that's a lot of fun. I mean, I, I did that as a kid. I could tell stories. I had that one story that year where my ne- like we couldn't find any of our eggs because our neighbor's poodle ate them. And then the, and we knew that because she then pooped them out later, right? It's just one of those things. And so, so we had these stories. It's funny to tell and talk about. And it's also, being a part of the church, we have these stories that Easter is about resurrection, right? We talk about it, we celebrate it this year. We're gonna, again, we're going to be celebrating in the context of, 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 of our baptism. And so if you're part of the church, then Easter's become about, about Easter morning, right? And usually about maybe leading up to Easter in the week of Lent, whatever it may be, and, and Good Friday, and we come, and, and then we celebrate that morning. And it's always, we, I don't know about you, I always like that morning in my church because people are actually excited to be there. We actually sang fun songs, and the pastor didn't make me feel terrible about myself. It was so great. I loved Easter, right? And there's all this dynamic of coming and celebrating, and, it's, and it was great. But we said that Easter is much more than both of these things because we said Easter, and we can put it on the screen, Easter is the greatest mission the Father ever sent Jesus on. Right? The Easter is the greatest mission that any, any human being has ever been sent on. The mission was simple, to save the world. So Father, Son, Holy Spirit said, oh my gosh, look at the world, they're dying Somebody just saved him and, and said, Jesus will go. And Jesus says, yes, I will go and save the world. The most important mission that anyone has ever been sent on in the entire history of humanity. And the mission of Easter will never end as there are people who have never heard or embraced the good news of Jesus. Remember, for those of you who were here, I had these pieces of paper sitting on people's chairs. I would encourage if you were not here. We would, to do the same thing, we, we said, name someone that you know who has no idea that Jesus is connected to Easter. Or someone who's never actually embraced 
the message of Easter. And if they haven't, I want you to write their name down. And this is the person then that you have in mind when we're thinking of Easter and thinking of Easter as mission of someone who's never experienced the good news, the gospel, the good news of Easter. Because we said the, the Easter didn't happen. It is still happening every day for people who hear and embrace, receive and embrace the message that Jesus came to earth, lived a sinless life. He died and was resurrected so that we could then have eternal life. Easter as mission. And we said our neighbors, our neighbors are in need of Easter. And so it has to become more than what it's been, right? Because there are still people who need him. So let's do this this morning. So how many of you love when Laura paints? All right. And so Laura and I never talk in advance about what she's going to, or usually. Sometimes we have, right? This morning, we, I had no idea what she's going to paint. And it's always a game for Laura to see how I'm going to connect my message, right? If I can, to, to the painting. So I have to confess, it's like, in the first service, we were like literally three quarters of the way through the first, the, the last song. I'm like, oh my gosh, what is this? I had no idea, right? And so thankfully, I, I, I realized that it is, it's a nest. It's a nest of these eggs. And so I was like, all right, Jesus, then what are, what are you speaking into this? How does this connect? How, did you, how are you interweaving and intertwining this message through this into the message this morning? And the idea that came to is really clear. The idea is this, and hear this. God is a father, right? But you know that he's not bound by any kind of sexual orientation. He is, Scripture is really clear. He has a father heart and a mother heart. Isaiah talked about the mother heart of God. He says, and he intercedes like a mother intercedes for her, her young, right? That God is connected, this idea that he is, he is a father and a mother heart. And so when we see a nest like this, what do we always think of? We think of, we think of a nest with eggs and a mother who likes to protect her nest. I've, have you ever experienced that? Have you ever experienced a mother protecting? Listen, I was fishing on Lake Lanier. Fishing on Lake Lanier. And I'm going into a cove. All my stories revolve around fishing, as you don't know, right? Everything happens on the water for me. So I'm, driving, I'm, pull, I'm coming into this cove, and I'm going deep into it, and I'm fishing this way. And all of a sudden, I feel something coming right here, and I, and I turn around in time to see an osprey descending with wings tucked coming right at me to the point I literally drop to the, to the, the bottom of the boat, and he just swoops down and keeps on coming, and then keeps on swooping back around, right? And I'm literally on my, on my just laying down, I have a trolling motor, and I'm using my hands to push buttons to bring me out of this cove so this crazy osprey does not kill me. Now, this is a crazy mother osprey. Because I see her, she's coming back, she's, she, I don't know what, I don't know what, the, I forget what, Jason, what do ospreys do? Are you in here, Jason Penley, he leave? Like, Jason can make noise, there you are, make a noise. There you go, right? This doing that, right? The whole time, right at me, right? And it's like, and I'm hearing this, and it's swooping around, and I'm like, get out, because everybody knows you don't mess, we don't mess with the bird, right? And you don't mess with ospreys, they got talons like this, right? So I'm literally coming out, and that's the idea. That a mother, a mother bird protects. A mother bird protects. A mother bird comes along and guards because nothing, this is, this, is, this is the point. Nothing is more important. Nothing is more important to the mother 
than her children. Nothing is more important to a mother bird than protecting her eggs. And when I look at Easter as mission, I recognize, I recognize that God as a father and God as a mother looks at all of us, whether saved or unsaved, whether walking with Jesus or not, and loves each of us as his children. And like a mother guards her eggs is all about guarding and protecting and fighting for the salvation of all children. And this is really important. Because when we think about it, right, why do you think God blesses those who are evil? Read through the Old Testament. Read how many times that David is frustrated that God is blessing those who are evil. Why do you think God blesses evil people? Because he's trying to woo them as his children back in or into relationship with him. He blesses to woo. He loves to draw in. And so in the context then of seeing Easter as mission, recognize this picture as this loving father, mother heart of God for saved and unsaved, those who've experienced and not experienced Easter and his desire to fight and to woo them in. Because when he looks, listen, when he looks at the name of the person on your piece of paper, he's like this. That's how important they are to him. And so when we talk about Easter as mission, we recognize the love of God for all of us, and specifically especially those who are far off and who he longs to bring into relationship with him. Easter, the greatest mission that Jesus has ever been sent on because he wants to save the world, it's the good news for those who've never experienced it, and it's a mission still today that those who haven't experienced it, never heard it, never experienced it, they would because he is fighting for them and he's wooing them to himself. Easter has to be more than baskets, bunnies, and Easter eggs. And the idea is, is this. Paul talks, we read it last week, we're going to go back into 1 Corinthians 9. Remember last week, we at verse 23 of chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians, where he says, Paul says, everything I do, I do it all for the sake of the gospel. All do, everything I do for the sake of the good news. I do it all for the sake that God is fighting for and wooing his children through love, even those who do not know him because he's fighting for them. This is this good news. And so 1 Corinthians 9, 19, Paul says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. And it's in this we see Paul comes and says, listen, this is, this, is the, this is the message this morning. I'm completely free to do what I wish and do, to do what I want with my time and my energies. This is important. I am free. Listen, guys, there's nothing we celebrate and we quote more in America than the idea that we are free. We've been given life. Liberty, freedom, and the pursuit of happiness, right? That is something when people, someone, so when someone kind of pushes up against it, say, no, listen, we're free. We have free speech. Like, you may not like what happened this past week with Donald Trump and, and whatever that group is that came in, wherever they were, and like literally ended his whole talk. But you have to love the idea that as Americans, we actually have the ability to do something like that. We're not going to get killed. That's a pretty big, that's a pretty big deal. We live in democracy. Why do you love democracy? Because you love having a voice. Because you are free to have a voice. And so Paul comes in and says, 
I am free. I am free from all. But in my freedom, I have made myself a servant. You all know several weeks ago, Randall and a Catherine uh, went to New York City for her 13th birthday, got a free place to stay, hung out with some friends, had a great time. And so you know what happens when that happens. Dad's now in charge. And you know when that when that when dad's in charge, you eat anything you want to eat, right? You stay up late, you do anything you want to do, you make a mess of the house, and the whole idea is all you gotta do is real simple. Just remove all their committing evidence one before they get home. That's what it is, right? You so you know, dads, you know what do you do? Oh my gosh, three hours. Clean up, everybody. Clean up. You're singing the Barney song. Clean up, clean up, right? All day long, clean up. So the great thing was is that, that, we, that school was out on Monday. So, that, so and Sarah and Caden were home with me. And I said, all right, guys, tomorrow, like we're watching a movie on Sunday night. I don't know what time it was. It was late. I said, all right, tomorrow morning, i got a promise. We're going to get up and we're going to clean the house. And Mommy will not know what happened here, right? And so we woke up that morning. And sure enough, Caden gets up first. And Caden just... Says, comes in, says, I'm awake. I said, let's go clean your room. So we go to her room. We pick up all of her stuff, make her bed, right? We, we, we clean her bathroom. Everything's good to go. And I, and I hear Sarah. Sarah's upstairs, and she's, she's kind of moving and stuff. And so I'm sitting downstairs. We finished cleaning and doing stuff over here. And I hear Sarah. I'm like, and I have a thought. Anna Catherine did not have a chance to clean her room before she left. He usually cleans it every day. Right? Did you hear her laugh? That was hilarious, right? No, her room was not the cleanest, right? And so I had this idea, Sarah, and I yelled up, Sarah. She's like, yeah, Dad. I said, why don't you consider cleaning AK's room before she gets home? That would really be a blessing to her. Now, hear this. I said consider because, to be honest with you, she had the right to say down kindly, right? Hey, Dad, that's a great idea. But I don't really have time to do that because I had to clean my own room and take care of stuff over here. And I would have been fine with that, literally, because she had the freedom and the right to say, hey, it's a great idea, but no. And I would have said, hey, that's cool. And I would have gone up and cleaned it myself just to be a blessing to Anna Catherine. And so Sarah, in response, says this, I already did. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, right? I already did. And, and I was just, I, I, I was, I, I mean, I was as close to being shocked as you possibly can. Because listen, my girls, they love one another. But usually the best way to express love is through like fighting and arguments. It's really amazing, right? How that happens. And they're really good at loving each other that way. Now, because they're just like everybody else who has siblings. I get it. But in that moment, Sarah, in her, this is important, Sarah, in her freedom... And in the right to not clean, willfully chose on her own accord to go and to serve her sister. She didn't clean her own room first. We had to come up later and she's like, oh my gosh, I forgot, I forgot to clean. I've spent so long, so long cleaning in it, I totally forgot to clean my own. And so we kind of helped, helped, we did it together. But the beautiful piece was, is that in her freedoms, with the right not to, she chose to clean her sister's room by serving her. Sarah and Paul, same type of language that we're building off here in 1 Corinthians 9. And it's this, point number one. Paul, with his rights and his freedoms, freely chose to serve those entrusted to him. Get this picture, right? Easter as mission. Paul saying, everything I do for the sake of the gospel, right? So that I might win more. In, I am free, but I've chosen to become a servant. So what I want you to see, Paul, with his rights and his freedoms, freely chose to serve those entrusted to him. Go back and read chapter 8 and chapter, the first half of chapter 9. 
What I want you to see in these verses is that Paul talks about freedom. They, the Corinthians kind of asked this question that's very, this culture, this very cultural in nature and said, Hey, is it okay for us? Do we have freedom to eat meat sacrificed to idols? And they said, he said, of course you do. But that's not the most important question. The most important question you begin to ask yourself is what responsibility do you have in regards to your freedom and your rights? Like you have freedoms and rights, but, but recognize they come with great responsibility. Like you have, we have freedoms and rights. What do we do with it? That's what he's getting at. What are you doing with your freedoms and your rights? How are you handling your freedoms? How are you handling your rights? And in 1 Corinthians 8 and 9, there's a snapshot when Paul says, But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. He lays it out very practically in verse 13. He says, Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Do you see the nature of what he's getting at? Hey, listen, yes, we have these freedoms over here. But my question for you is simple. Are you using your freedoms and rights in such a way that's actually causing someone to stumble? Or are you using it for the sake of the gospel? Because the idea is it's real simple. So in the story, you have responsibility with your freedoms. There's responsibility with the rights that you possess. You have responsibility. So the point number two I want you to see is our freedom then comes with the responsibility. We have to land with this. Our freedom comes with a responsibility. Paul, responsibility. Listen, I can use my freedoms for this, but I'm chosen to become a servant of all. Let it sink in for a moment. Though I am free, verse 19, though I am free, I have made myself a servant to all. Let that sink in. Though I am free, I have made myself a servant to all. Do you know, I don't know about you, but there are certain things that I read in Scripture. And when I read them, it makes me put my Bible down. Because that was so rich and so deep and so heavy. I'm like, whoa, I just need, I just need to breathe real quick. That's just got to breathe. I got to, When I read this, Paul says, I'm completely free. And I've chosen to serve every single neighbor in my life. And I go, whoa. Because that comes with a weight, doesn't it? That comes a level of responsibility. It feels like I can feel the weight of that. That's what we see. Paul is just, Paul is just like my Sarah. Right? In her freedoms, chose to serve her sister. Not because I made her. I didn't offer to give her five bucks. I didn't offer to give her ice cream afterwards, right? I didn't make her do it out of guilt. Like wives, if, if, like when your husband does something for you and says, well, I, I knew you wanted me to, it kind of takes away the luster of it, doesn't it? But when your husband just does something for you because he just wants to and his freedoms and makes time for that, your like, heart goes to a flutter. It's like, that's why I'm married. You have totally forgot. But now I remember, right? No, it's one of those things. And so what's what Paul's getting at here in this moment is, though I am free, I've made myself a servant to all. Point number three is our freedom gives us the opportunity to freely choose to serve others. 
First Corinthians 9, 12 says, Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right or our freedoms. We endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. We have to recognize this place to say, everything in my life is an opportunity and a freedom and a right to go and to lead people to Jesus for the sake of the gospel. What Paul is saying is I take all of my freedoms and rights and I don't let them become so self-oriented and so self-focused that my life actually and my freedoms becomes an obstacle for someone who's never heard the gospel from experiencing Easter. I have a responsibility with my freedoms. He had to be responsible with this freedom, not to cause people to stumble and then lead them to the gospel. A few thoughts to consider in the context of Paul's life. Number one, freedom is not Paul's goal. His goal is other salvation. It's really important in our culture. He's not, he's not fighting for his personal freedoms. He's not fighting for his personal time. He's not fighting for, for self. He's fighting for others that they, in the context of this, may be brought to the saving knowledge of Jesus. That's what he's living for. He lives more aware of the mission than his personal freedom or his personal rights. Number two, I love it here. He talks about, he says, I belong to no man. I belong to no man, which simply means no one owns me. I'm not enslaved to anybody. You can't make me do anything. I'm, I've chosen to become a bond slave to Jesus, and I've chosen to become a bond slave, which means in his freedom, but chose to give himself to somebody. I've chosen to become a bond slave for others, which means in his freedom, right, belonging to no man, he chooses to give himself in service. We can't miss this heart that's been birthed in Paul. The third thing, his service of others is freely chosen, right? That's a beautiful piece. He freely chooses. He chooses to become a slave for everyone. The language of Paul is clear. Our freedom, his freedom, our freedom, his rights, our rights, they come with a great responsibility. And our responsibility, listen, our responsibility is to move obstacles that would cause others to stumble so they can receive the gospel. Our responsibility is to serve everyone who God's placed in our lives. This is the nature of Easter as mission. So we should then press pause in the context of that conversation. Because what you heard me just say was, guys, you need to do a better job. You need to work harder. You need to go do this. You need to go be like Paul. That's what we hear all the time in church, all these to-dos, all these things. You're supposed to all of a sudden go, oh, and then you feel more weight in your life. And you're like, I'm going to guess. I'm going to go serve. This is going to be awesome. Oh, Jesus, right? And the something that I see happen in the life of Paul is that does not seem to define his life. Like there seems to be a motivation in Paul's life that's different than my motivation. And the thing that makes me question all of this is to go this, is to say this. Paul was a human being. It's really important. Paul wasn't a robot. He wasn't like hyper-graced and blessed above all human beings so he could do things others couldn't do. He was born and he was needy. And he grew up like every other human being with a level of selfishness defining his nature. Why? Because he's a human being. 
I've never known a human being who by nature wasn't selfish. I mean, you all are. I'm just kidding, right? No, seriously. It's like, I know I am. Like, I know when something happens, I'm like, oh, and I have to die to myself to go do this thing I'm supposed to do, right? Like, I want, like, literally yesterday, we were in our house cleaning this room, and, and I was like, all I can think about is that bass sitting next to that stump, and he's right there waiting for me to catch him. Jesus. Right? I mean, literally, you think I'm joking. Like, I, like Ash Randall all day, I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is a great day. I mean, the storm, the fronts are coming. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm literally there. I'm like having to die to self. But God, this is where I'm supposed to be. And thankfully, I'm here. You know what I'm saying, right? And just being honest. And so Paul is a human being, but something had shifted in his heart that literally in that moment, something, this is the important thing. He always had, this is important. There's always selfish tendencies, but something had overshadowed those primarily in Paul's life. Does that define your life a little bit better? And human beings, like, I always have these tendencies. And sometimes in our lives, we feel like Jesus overshadows those. You know what I mean in that? It's like, I, I know it's there, but I'm more defined by Jesus. And that had happened in Paul's life that somehow Jesus was now defining more so his life and his lifestyle in the moment where it's as if it sounds like he's like, yes, I have in my freedoms, which I celebrate, chosen to use those to become a servant of all, that I might win some for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of Easter. And so that made me take my Bible and go, hmm. Like, y'all need to start putting your Bible down more because you've been reading it, right? And then allow, it's like, sit it down and go, Jesus, what are you doing? How can Paul say this and mean it? I'm glor- and and makes, it gives me hope because he's a human being just like being with natural tendencies towards this. And so what I'm going to share with you this morning is an hypothesis. And I'm going to encourage you, you got, it's either, either I'm, there's three things about what I'm about to say. Either I'm wrong and you need to go figure out why I'm wrong by reading scripture. I'm basically leading you back to the Bible yourself because I'm not always right. So, I'm gonna, so either I am either I'm wrong, and you need to go figure out where I'm wrong and tell me where I'm where I'm wrong, so you can tell me where you're right. Or I am right, but I'm not complete in what I'm saying. So I want you to add to what I'm saying. Uh, or the the third what was the second was the third thing? I'm wrong, uh, or I'm fully right, and that's probably not the case either, right? So the hypothesis this morning, and I want you we're gonna I'm gonna share my thoughts with you with a level of of background in scripture. And then I want to send you home to do your own homework about how Easter's mission needs to be awakened in you in the context of being overshadowed by Jesus. You okay with that? Now, you okay with me not telling you all the answers and letting Jesus tell you some of them? Thank you. All right. So here we go. My premise is this. What I believe motivated Paul in the context is, is this Romans chapter 5, 2 through 5 scripture. We talked about it in my discipleship group this week. And so I want you to see these verses. Romans chapter 5, 2 through 5. This is just one simple picture. There's other places throughout Scripture, but it's this. Paul says, through him, Jesus, through Jesus, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. What does that say, Steve? Press pause. He's saying, I believed in the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. And him being Lord, so I gave him, so by faith I believed that, 
And I entered into, so in that moment, right, I entered in by faith into the fullness of God, His grace. And now I stand with Him and I rejoice He's coming back to take me home. He's just simply in one verse naming He's a Christian. He's walking with Jesus. It's living. It's active inside of Him. Then He says this. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. That was a put my Bible down moment. Because I'm not good at that, right? Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. And here is the moment. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Like I read this, and Paul's saying, God's, this is another moment. God's love has been poured into my heart through the Holy Spirit, and that changes everything. So I just began to think about Paul and experiencing God's love and, and what that meant. Like, do you recognize that experiencing Paul's, God's love for Paul for Paul was not just a mental ascent to, to knowledge? Yes, I know God loves me in a very logical sense. Because that doesn't define Paul's experience with Jesus at all. I went to Acts 9. I thought about Paul slash Saul was on his donkey. He had just killed Stephen, right? Peter Oswald said last week very, very poignantly, Paul was basically part of ISIS. He was systematically finding Christians, persecuting them, and killing them. So he's part of ISIS, and he's on a donkey, and he's going to Damascus to systematically persecute and kill more Christians. And God comes and knocks him off his high horse, a.k.a. his donkey. And all of a sudden, Paul goes, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? For those of you confused... His, he was Saul, and then he shifted into Paul later in life, okay? Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he goes, who are you, Lord? And he goes, I am Jesus, whom you have been persecuting. And all of a sudden, he goes, oh, shoot. Because this is important. Like, read it as if you're in it. Paul has been part of ISIS and God thinks he's honoring God, and then God comes and says, you're actually killing my children. It's greater to have a millstone tied around your neck and thrown to the bottom of the sea than to cause one of my little ones to suffer, Jesus said. And Paul is like, oh, oh. this is not good, guys. Like, have you ever had that moment in your life where you've been, like, fighting somebody and arguing, arguing, and arguing, and then all of a sudden you realize you're wrong? And you have two choices. Try to, like, rewind, like, try to, oh, I mean, oh, that's, like, you're trying to, like, cover up for yourself rather than just own the fact that you were wrong. And Paul is, like, ultimately wrong. Who told him God? That's a pretty big deal. And so then he goes into, he goes blind, he goes in, he's led to this room where for three days he experiences his own death. It's this three days, right? Jesus was, was, was crucified, right? And for three days in the ground, Paul's having his own three days in the, his own ground. 
Can you imagine his thoughts when he literally, this is going to sound dramatic, but it's what Paul's going through. In the moment, he is reliving the last look on Stephen's face. Or the moment Stephen realizes that he's about to be stoned, he's like, duh! And he's like reliving that moment. Can you imagine the faces of the women and the children that he sees as he's dragging them out by their hair onto the streets to beat them? I mean, I'm just, I'm not trying to be, again, not dramatic for drama's sake. I'm just saying he's reliving this for three days. Have you ever spent three days by yourself in a room and then you're blind? I mean, three days being being able to see is a big deal. Three days blind is an even bigger deal. And he's experiencing the weight of his decisions and his actions. This is not a great moment. He's not going, woohoo. Right? And all of a sudden, Ananias walks in, lays hands on him, scale, like something like scales fall from his eyes, and for the first time, he's able to see physically again, and for the first time, he's able to see spiritually. Can you imagine what's running through him in the moment? Can you imagine the moment where he recognizes that God, the creator, has literally forgiven him? Can you imagine the moment when the depth of God's love has been so poured out into him that he has a logical understanding of thankfulness that God has loved him? Oh, thank you, God. No, he would be undone that the God of all creation would literally come and fill him and flood him and forgive him to the point that he would say, do you remember when I killed Stephen and Paul? And God would say, I actually don't because I forgave you of that. Can you imagine the fullness of the love, the experience in the moment? So when he then writes 1 Corinthians chapter 13, four chapters later, he comes in the moment and he says, because love is patient, right? Love is kind. It is not, it's nice. It's not pushy. It's, it's humble. It's rejoicing. It bears all things. It's hopeful in all things. It endures all things. It is never ending. He's literally writing this because he's experienced logically and emotionally the fullness of God's love. And it's overshadowed every other thought in his life. And don't you know... That when someone experiences something so life transforming that all they want to do is get other people to experience it. Easter is mission. Like how many of you in the last month have had the best meal of your life at some incredible restaurant that you'd never known about? And what did you do? On the way home, you called somebody. The next day, oh my gosh, we had the best steak last night. You've got to go and experience it for yourself. Or you go see a movie. And the movie was so great and so powerful. What happened? You literally got home. You saw somebody that says, oh my gosh, we saw this incredible movie. You have to go see it. I mean, I just want to, I'm not going to spoil it for you because it's so good. Because the nature of human beings is that when they experiencing, they experience something amazing and life transforming, they want others to experience it and be transformed in the same way. And so Paul's coming in the moment saying, oh, I've experienced Easter. 
I've experienced salvation. I've experienced the good news. And I, it overshadows everything. Therefore, in my freedom, I want to go and find those who've never experienced it. So, and tell them all about it so they too can experience it. That changes things. Thank you. When I experience something, focus on me, please, not on the children. Focus on me. When I experience something so powerful like Easter, then the nature of it, as seen in Paul, is that in my freedom, with my rights, I give myself to those who have yet to experience it. Because when something like that shifts and it changes me. And what I'm saying this morning, and I want you to hear this. Some of you hear duty when you hear in your freedom serve. And Paul's saying, no, I can't help, but I can't help because I've so been overshadowed by the love of Jesus that it's wrecked me from the inside and I feel compelled. This is the greatest thing that I can do. Yes, I have tendencies towards this, but I'm overshadowed by this. And the question I have for you is this. Serving Jesus, does it feel like duty that burns you out? Or are you so overwhelmed and overcome by the love of Jesus that your acts of service before God truly is a living and active because his love is flowing through you. See, that's the difference that motivates Paul. He's not getting burned out. Remember Peter last week talked about the, he called him the fruit of Satan. This is the fruit of the work of the enemy, right? Confusion and worry and anger, right? No, instead, he's saying we're so overcome by the love of Jesus on an everyday basis that I am motivated by love, joy, peace. It's the fruit of his presence, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. See, what I would say is this sometimes in our life, the greatest thing that we can do to become effective again in life is to slow down and fall in love. Randall and I, for our 10th anniversary... I'll say that again. The greatest thing that we can do, listen, the greatest thing we can do is to stop and to simply fall in love again. Randall and I, for our 10-year anniversary, we went away to a virgin island. Someone gave us a free, I know it's the perks of being a pastor, I guess I don't know. But anyway, we got this free place to stay in the Virgin Islands. We just had to get there. So we went to this island, and this was like, not being crude, and it's like it was a clothing optional type place for us. Why? And why do I say that? Because this, we got there, and everyone's like, eh, why is he saying that? I'm really nervous. Where's he going with this, right? Because after 10 years of marriage and having two children, there was a lot of us that just started running side by side with one another, and we weren't united in love with one another. I remember day three looking at her going, my gosh, I forgot how much I enjoy you. And we came home. We were a better husband and wife. We were better parents. I was a better pastor because she and I, who I've become one with, were running a race together again in love with one another. Scripture's like they were naked and unashamed, guys. I'm just saying. And the idea is true. Marriage is simply an example of our relationship with Jesus. And the idea is this. that In my relationship, sometimes I have to stop. Listen, a lot of times 
I have to stop doing so I can fall in love again. And then out of that love of what I receive from the Father, my actions aren't duty. They're just an outgrowth of my love for God and the things that God loves. Does that make sense? And so the motivation then becomes this experiential love of Jesus and the logical love. Because there, listen, do you have moments with your spouse like Randall has with me where she doesn't like me very much but loves me? Right? So in that moment, I have that part of my mind says, I'm fully committed with the expectation we're going to fall in love again, right, emotionally, right? There's always a marriage of those two, but we have to have this outgrowth and relationship with Jesus where sometimes I press pause so I can say, God, I'm going to take a break for the purpose of not serving you, but just falling in love with you again so that my actions then are birthed out of my relationship of love with you. That's Easter's mission. I'm not saying to you, work harder. Pull those bootstraps like good Americans do. Work harder. I'm saying sometimes take your boots off and lay down with Jesus and let him love on you. And it may last for a season. You may say, I got to take a week. I got to take a month. I just got to be with Jesus. Then fall in love with him again. Have your own Virgin Island experience with Jesus. That sounds corny, but you know what I mean. Fall in love with him again. Be awakened again for the love of God. That Zephaniah 3.17 says it causes him to dance over us with great spinning and to quiet us with his love. Then Easter's mission does not become like a oh, duty. It becomes like, oh, Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your presence. God, we ask that as we come into this time of worship and of prayer, that, Lord, you would shape us, you would change us, you would move us. God, you would take us to new places with you. God, you would awaken us again. That, Father, we would all of a sudden, God, as if we wake, we've woken up, God, from a slumber, we've woken up from a almost from a numbness, God. God, we just confess as human beings, it's so easy in our relationships and with you just to kind of catch ourselves in life and just kind of doing life and really kind of forgetting the reason we're doing, forgetting the purpose of why we're doing it. And we just pray today that you'd awaken us, Lord. Pray this in Jesus' name. We'll have ministry teams. I invite you to come forward right now. For those of you who are new, these are offering baskets here. You just give us the Lord leads. We have communion available every Sunday for you to come freely and just to celebrate the Lord's Supper, His work, His of, of grace, his, his good news. This is all about the good news of Jesus. Experiencing it again. But I want to ask at this point to go ahead and stand this morning. I want to pray over you. A prayer that I prayed over the first service. It's a prayer that God gave me uh, probably about six or seven years, eight, I don't know, maybe ten years ago now. If you're at a place, I would invite you to, put, I invite you to all put yourself in a place, a posture of receiving. I don't care what it looks like. You can put your hands up. You can cup them. You can put your hands in the air. You can, I don't care what you do. Just put yourself in a place in a posture of receiving. I'm going to pray over you. 
this morning, this awakening and this outpouring of God's love into your life. So, Father, this morning, we come and just confess as human beings that by nature we are selfish and by nature we get tired and by nature we pull back. By nature, God, we protect ourselves. By nature, God, we, we don't serve. And Lord, I'm asking this morning first that you'd overwhelm each of us with your love in a supernatural and powerful way. That you would come this morning, God, and where we are numb, God, where we have turned away from you, God, whether in the places, God, that we're just kind of like zombies, just kind of walking, but we're like dead as we walk. Lord, I pray, Jesus, that you would awaken us, that you would cause life to stir inside of us again. We pray for our own Damascus Road moment, God, of awakening. God, of clarity of heart, God, that you would remove blinders, God, remove these blind places from our sight, Father, to see you fully in Jesus' name. Father God, we confess to you our difficulties. We confess to you our hardships. We confess to you our suffering, God. We, we confess to you, God, all of these things that, Jesus, would you take them all that we desire, Jesus. All that we desire is just one thing, awaken love inside of us. This is the prayer I invite you to pray. All that we desire is just one thing, awaken love inside of us. All that we desire, Jesus, is just one thing, awaken love. God, we confess we can't make love awaken. We can't, put our, we can't make ourselves be in the right place. We can't make ourselves serve and give ourselves away and then to be sustained for a life in it, God. All that we desire, Jesus, is one thing. That you would awaken love inside of us, God, so we can receive love, give love fully in Jesus' name. Father God, we want to see Easter as mission. And we can't do it unless you do it through us. Holy Spirit, I pray to you that it says in Romans 5 that, the Holy, that, that love was given through the Holy Spirit. And I pray, I pray to you it's the same thing. I pray to you it's the same thing this morning. That you come, Holy Spirit, and you awaken love inside of us. And so Jesus... I'm asking for healing this morning. I'm asking for restoration this morning in Jesus' name. Come, Holy Spirit. I invite you this morning. Ministry teams are available. And I believe God wants to awaken something inside of you. You're going to come to the altar and pray, but would you, would you invite God that He will work in you? Listen, I feel like this reality for us is that God's great desire is today to do a work of awakening and pouring out His love inside of us. Don't deny it. Don't pull back. Don't fall back into self this morning. Say, Jesus, help. Help me this morning. This is officially our ending this morning, so if you need to go this morning, you are free to go, but we're going to not stop again, so we're just going to continue to worship. We're going to continue to pray and ask God to move. She responds to the Lord leads. There's a sign up for our men's event. There's a sign up to go and serve and love on our children. So don't do, make sure you do that before you leave today. And there's a meeting afterwards, a time together to celebrate the Bagwell. We're in no hurry. They're in no hurry. They want to receive as much as we do, so you stay. You'll understand. And allow God to do something new. This is the day in the moment of breakthrough for some of you in the room. Jesus, come.